Hey there, I'm Alan Furstenberg. I'm Linda. <laughs> and welcome to this week's Two Voice Devs. <laughs> but I'm not really a voice dev. Well, we've expanded it a little bit. Okay. Anyway, so uh, welcome, Linda. Good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. You've been bugging me for the last couple of weeks. I get you on. I get you on. Last couple of weeks. Yes. I've been bugging you for the past couple of years to come on the show. Yeah, um, but I never really had anything valid because I am not, in my opinion, a voice dev. Well, but but what you are is so so for those that don't know, Linda is also a GDE. We've okay. known each other now for 10 years as GDEs. Yes. Um and you've for most of that time been an analytics GDE. Yeah, I got identity in 2015 when they basically threw that at us. us. Yeah. Everybody that asked for it, basically. So, yeah. But as an analytics GDE, you know, when we were doing voice stuff, it was very important for us to know, you know, to, to look into analytics type stuff. So yeah. I, I thought that made a great deal of sense to have you on that. And this was when Google was revamping their analytics system. So, you know, I thought it would make sense to to kind of talk about where Google's analytics were going and maybe how it dovetailed with with what you would want to do as voice. Um, but all of that's behind us now because we're talking about something else, sort of, yeah. instead. But why, so so we know you're an analytics GD. Why don't you talk a little bit about kind of how you got there, how you got started in programming and uh, and how you your, your career path up to that point? I started programming probably somewhere around when I was about 13 years old. My dad got us um, got me the Intellivision, not the Atari, because we didn't have the Atari. We weren't that cool. We had the Intellivision instead. Uh -huh. And you could get a computer keyboard to go to it. And um, so I started just like typing in. I think it was some weird form of basic. So that's when I got my first taste of programming. But it's it's not really where I got my first taste because my mom actually worked with the old IBM mainframes back in the 70s. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I, I basically come from a programming background. Now, my mom left when I was about 12. So I was raised by my dad, but I still knew that my mom did programming. So I knew that it was a thing that women could, could do programming, right? Uh-huh. Um, and then, of course, you know, I was raised in the 80s and I saw war games and I saw Short Circuit and I'm like, oh, I got to do that. You know, I, I want to have a, I want to be able to talk to a computer. I want to be able to talk to another life form that is not us or something. Uh -huh. I don't know, but it was just kind of like always interesting. It was always in the back of my mind. I wasn't the best of teenagers. I'll have <laughs> to admit that. And I, I burned quite a few bridges, but eventually I realized that if, if I wanted something out of my life, I needed to do something. So um, I think it was about 20, 19 or 20, when I decided I wanted to go to college. And there just happened to be a local university that was offering a beginner programming computer science course. So I basically uh, called up my dad and uh, I ate some crow. And I said, will you still help me go to college? Will you pay for it? And he said, yes, I'll do it. Um, and he did. So basically the reason I started programming is because I wanted, I, I was curious and I wanted a job where I knew that 
I could pay for the things that I wanted in life without requiring having somebody having a relationship and being with somebody else. I wanted to be able to support myself, uh-huh. um, which was fine. And I did. I, 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 uh, so I got, I managed to get through, you know, school pretty, um, wasn't, wasn't that bad. Um, that's absolutely fine. You know, I feel like nowadays we have, we see a lot of people who are, um, criticizing people who want to get into the industry because it's a good, you know, it makes a good salary. And I think that's, that's, you know, that's gatekeeping. People can join for whatever reason they want. Well, I mean, I would have loved to be a surgeon, but honestly, I like sleep. <laughs> oh, so, so you became a computer programmer because you like sleep. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that one doesn't cut it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would have loved to be like an artist or something, but I the, the whole starving artist idea just, just didn't play, just didn't it, square it with me. It's not appealing, no. yeah. No, no, it's not. No, so, yeah. I, I wanted something. And the thing is, is I can do it. And I've always maintained that when it comes to programming, I mean, some people nowadays, it may not be as valid nowadays, but back in the day, you either could program or you couldn't. It, you had to have that analytical mind to be able to problem solve and look at a problem and see the possible solutions in the form of code. And back before the internet, it, it was hard for people to grasp it. So I saw mm -hmm. a lot of people come into these classes and it was, you, you could see the look of blank on their face. They just, it, it just never clicked with them. Do you, do you feel that's easier these days? What What is it that's, that's changed about programming maybe that's made that easier? I mean, excluding what's happened in the past year. But... Well, uh, well, honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the kids nowadays, or kids, I'm sorry, <laughs> kids nowadays, people nowadays have grown up with computers and the concept of computers, whereas back in the early 90s, nobody had any idea what a computer was. They didn't know what it could do. They didn't know how to use a mouse. They didn't know how to use a keyboard. They didn't, it, it, they're starting off fresh and it's, but whereas nowadays everybody knows what a computer is, back, and back, they they have that basic understanding. Back then, you know, machines were treated as magical, and these days yeah. they're not treated as magical. There there may be yeah. things you don't understand, yeah. but you know, people who are uh, starting out with them don't see it as magic. They see it as a tool, and they yeah. just need to learn a different part of that tool. Yeah, exactly. It's just another programming is just another language. That and the languages we have nowadays are a lot easier to use mm, or definitely. to understand. Um, I started with what Pascal, and that's and I mean I've looked at assembly, and that's just that'll give anybody a headache. So I mean the the languages that we have now, like you know Python, .NET, and maybe not Java. But I mean, I'll, I'll they're, they're all, there, but <laughs> yeah, well, we, we have, yeah, but I mean, some languages, they're, they're easier to understand. And as soon as you know one, it's not hard to learn another. I mean, I've technically only professionally coded in probably two languages, but I know 
probably 10 more because mm -hmm. I, I answer the questions on Stack Overflow from them. I can answer questions on Stack Overflow for anything from R to Ruby to whatever. Doesn't mean I'm a programmer. It just means I can give you what, a one of the answer. things Right. One of the things I feel like is most challenging in a lot of cases is if I'm programming in a language, I need to know how to think in that language rather mm -hmm. than rather than translate from a language that I'm used to, to whatever that language is. But when I'm helping someone in that language, it's easier for me to say, okay, I, I can kind of see what this is doing. Maybe you need to do this. Here are the approaches yeah. you should look at. So it's, it's easier to, it's easier to that. understand the language than to think in and program in that language. And well, I've had, I've me. been able to do that with everything except for JavaScript. <laughs> for some reason, I, I mean, my brain just, it, it's, it, it's fighting me on, you know, JavaScript and TypeScript and, and all of those languages. And I don't know why. I, I don't understand why. It, it shouldn't. I mean, you've been helping me for years trying to get to the point where I am now, which I can I can make stuff work in, in AppScript. And AppScript is technically JavaScript-ish, JavaScript yeah. you know. So, I mean... But sometimes I get myself into these holes and I can't debug them. I have no idea what's wrong. It doesn't work. It should work. I, well, I would hope it would work. And I don't and, know why. And it's always funny you say that because I'm the same way with Python. I mean, you know, I've I've done some stuff in Python. And every time I'm like, this is a fine language. I don't see anything wrong with the language. But why, you know, I just can't wrap my brain around it sometimes. And Python's just just easy for me. I can spit anything out in Python. I can spit stuff out in Python faster than I can in .NET now. And I've been a .NET developer for 12 to 13 years. So so let's talk about that a bit. So you've been a .NET developer. Yep. Um, I know that you had been uh, working for a variety of companies. Yep. Um, how did you become a GDE? Um, I was working for there's a there's a company here in Denmark called Target. Um, it's not the, it's not Target the company in the U.S. It's Target with with an I. I think it's spelled differently. They um, they have something similar to Power BI. It's a an, uh, a business intelligence application, really complex. Um, so I was working for Target and everything that they do, all the data was loaded into um, SQL Server integration services, right? Which builds uh, multi-dimensional databases instead of the normal relational databases. So one of the things they asked me to do was to see if I couldn't figure out how to import the data from Google Analytics into that so that they could load it into a business intelligence application, which was fine. Um, I'd never built an SSIS test before. Um, I actually think that that was one of the first um, projects that I built all by myself. You know, I designed it and everything. So it was the, it was pretty scary that that was the first .NET project that I built. Um, so basically while I was working on that, um, back then there was like zero documentation for the Google.NET client library. I mean, absolutely non-zip, zero, zilch, nothing. So basically I reinvented the wheel and did it myself. But one of the things that I wanted to be able to do was to display to the user the 
the dimensions and metrics that were allowed in Google Analytics because they were releasing a new version of Google Analytics and the dimensions and metrics, they were adding new ones, right? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be able to list to the user so that they could go in and pick, I want to see this dimension, this dimension, these metrics, and then have it automatically go and select the data for them. So I just happened to post a message over on the Google Analytics issue forms. I got an email not that long after, maybe a week after, from uh, Pete, one, the leader of the Google Analytics dev team, saying, hey, um, we're working on this API, which will give you a list of all the dimensions and metrics you want to beta test it for. And I'm like, this is the first time a Google, a, a, an email comes through with at google.com. And I'm, do you remember that feeling? Yes. You know, it's like, it's like, oh my God, I start shaking. I didn't right. know it's, if it's laugh this, or cry. And I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> right. It's it's this person who seems almost godlike God. to you. Yeah, godlike. It's like, God. And now after 10 years, we realize they're not gods. <laughs> they're not. I mean, they're wonderful people. I love yeah, them. Oh, yeah. But right they're just there, people but, just like the rest of us. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just people like the rest of us. You know, I had the same thing the first time I got an email from John Skeets. That well, was that was that's different. John Skeets that was, is that was, that was that was that was the first few of those that I got. And I still when I email him back, I do like five or six checks on my mail to make sure that everything's right. So, anyway. so no 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 no. I want to touch on that one briefly. For those of us not in the .NET world, briefly say who John Skeets is. <laughs> Um, John Skeets is a .NET developer. Um, he works for Google. He's written several books on .NET, but I guess he's best known for the fact that he has the highest rating on Stack Overflow right now, yes. which is somewhere around 1. 1.3 million points on Stack Overflow. Um, so he's he's the, the he, guy he to go to. And he was the first person to get past one million, and I oh, think. Yeah, right, yeah. And I think right now there are only two people. Yeah, there's. No, I think there's two other ones now. Okay. I think there's three of them that have it. So where were we? Uh, uh, so yeah, Pete contacted me and asked me to test it, and I went ahead and tested it, and I asked him, you know, can I use this in production? He's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So we used it in production, and I think it was about six months after that. He said, hey, we're starting up this new program here at Google uh, called uh, Google Developer Experts. Um, can I nominate you to be a Google Developer Expert for Google Analytics? And I'm like, well, probably not going to cost me anything. No, I'm not going to say no. Sure. Let's see what happens. You know, so I got on. I, th I think at the time, I think I only had to do one um meetings call with him what was it back then it was like hangouts or something back then i did one chat yeah. with them um and we just chatted and basically you know he didn't even ask me any questions i asked him questions because i wanted clarification to how the all auth stuff was working and i had a couple of bugs and issues and stuff like that so basically i ended up taking over the call which is kind of like what I do anyways in the identity calls anyways. Normally okay. I take them it, over. It yeah. feels like that's what we do a lot in the calls that we have with Googlers. And, yeah, and I, I got a chance. Really... Hey, I've got, I've got you here. I need to know why this doesn't right. work and is this supposed to work? <laughs> and I feel like they like that because- Oh, they it, love it. it. It validates the fact that, you know, somebody's using their product 
and that somebody understands it well enough to dig beneath the surface on it, to to find the, oh, the yeah. edge cases or find the issues and, you know, show why anybody would want to use an API. So you're a GDE for analytics. Um, these days, you're a consultant. You do, you uh, you consult for individual, for clients directly these days, correct? Yeah. Um, I've been freelance since December 2019. So it was just before COVID went through. I was working through a company. So mm -hmm. they basically hired me out and I worked through them type of thing. But it was still freelance work that I was doing. I wasn't actually working for the, the company that I was doing the work for. Um, and I've been doing that for a while. Um, the first couple of years, it was like full-time projects, um, mostly .NET. So, you know, it was, I was building, I'm, I'm backend when it comes to .NET, I do backend work, um, a lot of microservices. I really like working with microservices basically because I'm, I like to keep things compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't do much front end, which is probably why JavaScript and I don't get along. Um, but uh, I just, I, I don't have the patience for front end. Somebody else can make it look pretty. I'll make it work. I, I'm happy with that. No, that makes sense. And I know, um, so, so you and I as GDEs recently got uh, kind of, what's the best way to put this? Tasked uh, with, as all of the GDEs have, to take a look at Google's um, line of, AI products uh, or AI APIs for developers. And in particular, they wanted us to work with uh, the Maker Suite and the Palm API yep. um, set of products. Mm -hmm. And you and I had a couple of, of conversations about approaches for it. Um, how much had you been playing with generative AI stuff before that challenge came along? Do you remember back when I was playing with Dialogflow? Yes. All right. How long ago was that? Two, well, that three was, years that ago? That was three years ago or so. Yeah. All right. Do you remember how I, I I was never able to figure it out? That is the extent of of my knowledge of, of working with AI programmatically. I've been playing with ChatGTP for probably four or five months, but not their API, just the actual website. That's uh -huh. all I've been doing. So, so what was it about... Maker Suite that felt easier, that felt different for you? Well, Maker Suite to me felt a lot like ChatGTP. It's not exactly like ChatGTP because it's not the conversational thing that you have with ChatGTP, but you're, you're able to just put in your, you know, your, your the prompt that you want and it'll, you know, spit mm -hmm. out the, the results. And I think that's why in early days when we just got access, you and I spent, I, I spent a while just asking you stupid questions or well, not they stupid, stupid questions. questions. No, they were, they were beginner questions like, okay, but why would I want to do this? Yeah. And, and I'm like, and I was like, yeah, but what do I, what's this, what, what do I need this for? And I just kept adding, asking you these, these questions. And then, all of a sudden you said, but what if you make it return JSON? And I'm like, 
oh. And it's like this giant light bulb just went off. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> right, now I, think- I get it. And that's when I just kind of disappeared on you for a couple of days. And I came <laughs> back and I says, hey, look what I just did. <laughs> and then, then I gave you the opposite. What if you fed it, Jason? Yeah, what if you fed it, Jason? Yeah. And, yeah. and then I lost you again for another couple of days. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, you know, I think I've said this a few times, and I, I very firmly believe it, that these models are, these are transformer models. These are good at turning one yeah. thing into another thing. Yeah. And, you know, when we tap into it for that use, that's a that that's a tool that we didn't have before yeah. as developers. It's It's really cool what you can do with it. But you've got to think about what you can do with it. So, so for those who aren't familiar with MakerSuite and the Palm API, can we, I, I guess, kind of discuss what the two of them are? I mean, the way the way I've seen it is that MakerSuite is kind of a friendly front end to help you model yeah. what you, you know, model your prompts and and model what conversations can look like. And, exactly. You know, build a template. Build a prompt template. And then the API is what lets you execute that template from your own code. I I have a question for you, though. Have you noticed that Makersuite is not as um, black and white with its responses as the API is? Now, this may have something to do with those tuning things. You said you can tune it. Right. Because I've noticed that... Playing around in Makersuite, I will get different responses. If I run it like five times, I'll get five different responses from it. Whereas if I go ahead and do it in the code, now I'm using the the pure code settings or whatever that they recommend you use for the API, I seem to get a more static response. So, and this is, that's a great point. One of the big differences um, that you see in general as you're building these prompts is that at the bottom of Makersuite, there's a button that lets you set some of the parameters. And the most important one of those is the temperature. Yeah, I still haven't been able to figure out what that is supposed to do. I, I tried turning it up and down, and it it, it reminds me a little bit, because I have, if you've used like Playground AI, the one that does the uh, does images, you can mm-hmm. turn some stuff up in that, and it'll get you'll get a higher or lower percentage of extra limbs. Right. <laughs> well, that, that is kind of what it is in some yeah, ways. Basically, it, yeah, basically, yeah. Temperature controls how much randomness it's going to use at any given, at, at every stage of building the uh, the reply. Yeah. So a temperature closer to one means higher randomness. A temperature closer to zero means lower randomness. There are other parameters you fiddle with and yeah, tune but why with, would but, you ever want reason. it more random? Well, the re- you'd want it more random when you're generating a reply, because otherwise it sounds very robotic. Oh, a temperature okay. like at around 0, 0.1 means it's going to come up with almost exactly the same reply every single time. See, maybe that's what's wrong with my Google Analytics one yeah. <laughs> um, what you you haven't touched on that my my Google Analytics products. Basically, what I did was um, something that you and I had discussed back in the day for the Dialog Flow example, which was could we hook it up 
to Google Analytics. And by so, hooking it up, to, and by hooking it up to Google Analytics, we mean querying Google Analytics, asking Google Analytics questions by asking it questions. Exactly. So basically, I um, I spent a couple of days with a Python script. I actually had the the the. I actually think it took me two hours in uh, Maker Suite just to get a prompt that kind of worked, right? So basically, I would say I would the user would type in something like, "Give me a report for my events by active users for the last month," right? Perfectly reasonable request. Perfectly reasonable request. Now, to you to use that in the Google Analytics API, we need to break it down because you need some. You need to know some things. You need a start date and end date. Well, the start date and end date. That's it. I said the last month. So you need to know the current month, which you helped me with that because I didn't realize that it doesn't actually know what. Let, time let, it let's is. touch on that. We'll touch on that in a second. Okay. Yeah. So it needs the. It needs to be able to figure out the start and the end date then it needs to know the dimensions and metrics that you want and your property ID, your Google Analytics property IDs. And the yeah. output and the out. So, so basically you needed to build a prompt. Yeah. That the output of which was a JSON, JSON. data structure that you were sending to analytics. Ba it was, it's, I don't, I'm not using the actual JSON data structure for Google Analytics because that is just ugly. You know, okay. so basically I told it to give me one that I can use and then I can use to parse it into the one that I need because and the one for Google Analytics, I could have done it. I could have taught it how to build the one for Google Analytics, but it's so, there's so many nested arrays and objects and stuff. They would just, it, it, it would have been too difficult. Well, and I think that's an important point is that, you know, you don't need to get it into the final data structure. You just no. need to get it into a data structure that you can work with. Yeah. And then you, I mean, you apply some programming. I mean, that's we're, right. We're, we're programmers. We know how to transform one data structure exactly. into another data structure. Exactly. exactly. We, we, we don't need an AI to do that for us. <laughs> Before, if I wanted, I could have done this. I could have created some kind of crazy regular expression that would read a string and go and look for something like a... Uh, a large number being my property ID and two dates. And I could have done that. It probably would have given me a lot of gray hair. But using regular expressions, you could have gone in and maybe figured out what the question was. But the point is, it took me probably about two hours Ooh, to hours. get the first version working. The first version. And it was, it was it, like I said, first version, because what I was only testing on was, I think I fed it, had it looking for three metrics and three dimensions. And that was it. It had to be one of those three, or it wasn't going to pick them up. Now, the version I have now actually loads all of the dimensions and metrics available within your property ID for you to use. And that's where it's having issues right now because I think you said something about the prompt being too big. Right. Because so, the my prompt is huge. So, so okay, we'll get to that in a second too. Let's go back to the fact that so <laughs> I love that. So so basically, what you what you did was you had a you built a prompt that basically that, that did uh, value extraction or you know what we like to call named entity extraction or named yep. yeah. Um, Named entity recognition. 
you built a prompt that said things like, here are the possible parameters that they're going to talk about. And here are the possible metrics. And here's the current date so that if they ask for date information, yeah. you can tell me what, what that relative date needs to be. Yeah. Um, and, and all, you know, those sorts of things. And then what you get back is what the user has said in a data structure that you can now turn into another data structure. Yeah. I, I, I feel like that's, that's an incredibly powerful tool that you're right. We could have built regex before, but yeah. they would have been nasty and they would have fallen apart at edge well, cases and no matter yeah because because if i said if if the user said give me a report for my google analytics profile id for the last month showing event name by um i don't, I don't know active users but then if another user says give me um active users over the last month for event names and yeah you would right. have killed regex but you know what this thing can figure it out. Right. Um, I feel like the And the it's other... the same code. I didn't change the code. I it you can word it however you want. It can figure it out. Most of the time, 90% of the time it can figure it out. Every now and then it garbles something and I don't know why. Well, that's part of the complex nature of of these language systems. But so so I think one of the other elements of the prompt that I want to pull out is that the prompt itself is a dynamic prompt. Yes, are... because because what it the what I'm doing first it, it, it it's a dynamic prompt because I could give I could give it a specific um, start date and end date, but I could also say for the last week or for last year or or whatever no. there I've had got it figures it can figure it out. My my point more is that you're you're building a, a huge prompt. You've got a template here, and as part of that, you're including the user input in that prompt. Yes. But you're also including stuff that is dynamically created, like the current date, um, the possible dimensions that are well, associated yeah, with this project. Thing. One of the first things I do is I go in and I grab your profile ID because you have to give it the profile ID so it knows which one to go and grab from, right? So what I did was I hooked it up to the Google Analytics admin API so that it then goes in and it grabs out however many uh, dimensions and metrics that user has access to. So mm -hmm. this will also include any custom dimensions or custom metrics that you may have configured and it grabs those out and it adds the dimensions and metrics to the next prompt that it actually sends over to, um, to, to Palm so that Palm can go ahead and figure it out. And I think that's kind of an important thing to realize is that, you know, we think of, you know, we need to build a prompt and we're going to tack on to some part of it. Here's what the user said. I think it's important to realize that, no, we can, we don't need to, to have this prompt be the exact same thing either every time or for every, we, you know, we, we can tailor that prompt for the specific needs that we have at that moment. And that kind of gets to the other thing that you and I touched on, you know, that we've talked about, that we touched on briefly that I said we need to get back to. And that's that um, you can build more than one prompt to extract different information from the same user utterance. And it, and it sounds like what you're saying is you've already got one prompt that extracts the uh, the project the profile ID. ID. The profile, yeah, the profile ID. ID, yeah. So you get that, and then you build another prompt 
with the same it, phrase, but with that, asking for different information. Yeah, it grabs the dimensions and measurements. Yeah. So, you know, and and, and, the, I, yeah. and now one of the things we're talking about is saying, well, okay, how do we split that up even further to say, you know, uh, we want one to just find the dimensions and another one to find the metrics. And I think what what's neat about that thought to me is, okay, yes, that means it's it's two more API calls. And yes, LLMs can be, you know, they can take a few seconds. But here's a case where you can parallelize, parallelize yeah. those two requests. Because if you're, yeah. you're, one doesn't build on the other, you're just trying to extract information that your prompt may be too big to extract, yeah. from, you know, to, exactly. to deal with it all at one time. And I think, I feel like that's a, a nifty programmer trick that we can do, that we can think about. You know, we just need to wait for all the results back, which is going to take less time than waiting for each one to come back in, in sequence. So, well, I know you've also come up with some interesting things that you've tossed at me that have definitely not worked. What were some of your okay. experiments there? Um, you mentioned two I, to me this morning. Oh, yeah, two this morning. Well, I guess the, the one I spent the most time on was 20 questions. Um, which was now they have a sample on here where it is the asker or the guesser and, and you have to guess what it's thinking of. Right. Uh huh. But I switched it. So I'm thinking of an object and you have to guess what object I'm thinking of. And it, it does okay for a little while where it'll, because I, I had to, you, you got to go back and, and, and treat it like a kid. You almost got to explain <laughs> to the game, to it like it was a, like it was a two-year-old. Um, you want to guess what I'm thinking of. And the best way, you know, you, you need to, to narrow down how, you know, you know, because in the beginning, it would just start guessing random objects. Are you thinking of this? Are you thinking, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't bothering to narrow it down because normally if you and I were going to play, the first thing I say, well, is it alive or is it dead? You know, is it bigger than a bird box? Is it, you know, and, and narrow it down. Now it, it kind of narrows things down, but it, it's almost like it gets stuck in some kind of a, a loop somehow. And it, it assumes that I said yes to one thing and I didn't. And it just like, it'll ask me, are, is it, does it have to do with sports? And I say, no, it doesn't. So it starts asking me everything relating to sports. I, I've, I've seen similar issues when I've had, for example, ChatGPT playing uh, Jeopardy. Oh yeah. I've, I haven't tried games with ChatGPT. I, I, I tried having ChatGPT play Jeopardy. And it would do pretty well. It would, you know, and it would answer, you know, it would phrase things in the form of a question. But it also really liked to uh, keep asking the same category, the same value over and over. Yeah. And I'd have to remind it, nope, you asked me that one already. Yeah. Well, you've got to remember with this, with um, with Makersuite, you mentioned that it doesn't have a memory of the last call as well. Well, so... Makersuite, like ChatGPT, does have a chat model that's there. I haven't had very, I mean, other than my pizza delivery service, I haven't really had much luck with that one yet. One of the things, though, that's kind of important to understand about all of them is that they have a limited context window still. It still only has 8K for the, the scenario prompt, plus all yeah. of the exchanges back and forth. 
you know, there's still a limited amount of space that has to deal with with everything. So it kind of loses track of some stuff. And there have been studies recently that have shown that on all of these models, they tend to lose track of the things that are in the middle the most. They're pretty good at at using what's at the beginning and what's at the end to come up with a response, but not so good with stuff that's in the middle. I was so hoping to be able to get it to do to uh, um, to hook it up to my website so that I could have it like field context from you know proposed clients you know where you know asking the questions I was what 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 language are you using you know uh, what API are you working on what's the issue give me your email address you know those kind of things but it seems like it just wants to help the user with its useless help. And well, yes, so, so there, there, I think we start getting into uh, something that's known as retrieval augmented generation, RAG. Yeah. And we've seen a couple of the other GDEs are, are talking about RAG type stuff using uh, Maker Suite. Well, using yeah. the Palm API, because it's not usually using the Maker Suite itself so much. Yeah. Um, but that's that's that I think is the hot topic these days about how to use these tools is with uh, with RAG. Yeah. Um. So it sounds like you are you are doing tons and tons of this kind of stuff these days. You're playing with it. You're you're deeply uh, you're you're deeply engrossed in trying out these new tools. Um. To use as developers, any any I guess one one tip of advice that you would give to people who are uh, just starting down this path, just starting to play with Maker Suite. Well, I I guess the easiest thing to do would be to pick. I mean, if you're going to do it programmatically using Palm, pick one of the languages that they have samples for already, and I think that's um, Curl. What. One of yeah, the JavaScript it's, it's, it's ones. Python. Yeah, Python, curl, JavaScript, and there's one other one. I can't remember which. Those are the basic ones, but that's not necessarily the only languages that you can use. I have checked, and um, I know that um, most of the other languages probably support it as well. PHP does. And well, I mean, I think the beautiful part is that they're giving you curl so that if you can if you can create a REST request, you'll get you know well, a, a JSON response. Um, in whatever language you use. The one I did for Google Analytics, I originally did it in Python. And um, I gave up trying to get a Python web app working because I'm I'm not a webby person. Um, so I ported it over to, to AppScript and it works like a charm in AppScript. Uh, I write all of the re responses directly down into a Google Sheet and I'm spitting out um, graphs directly in Sheets. That's awesome. So yeah, so it works direct. It works in Google Sheets. It works in, you know, in in quite a few different languages. I, I mean, it works with you know, it works with anything you can do a REST call with. Yeah, well, yeah, but I think that they've already built the client libraries for it. The client libraries exist. They're not part of cloud, though. I don't think, but the client libraries are there for all of them. The client libraries are there. Them. Well, it's, they're not part of cloud because cloud has its own parallel version of the Palm API. With Vertex AI. Oh yeah, Vertex. Um, I still need to try Vertex one of these. You days. need to try Vertex, and I I will get you hooked on uh, Langchain soon. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Langchain is a is an abstraction layer 
that takes care of a pile of stuff for you. And there's there's a I, Python I version need... and a JavaScript version. And one of one of the things that I'm looking forward to doing that I want to do in the near future with Makersuite and and Langchain is be able to say, um, well, one of the neat things I like in Makersuite is that you can build a prompt. You know, it's got a prompt editor, and and in that prompt editor, it's more like a template editor because you can say, here's a, a value that I'm going to fill in separately. I yeah, think that's what it, I use. I love that feature. I Makersuite is the only product I've seen so far that does that, that lets you do that, because it really lets you play with temp, with uh, with prompts easily. But it also lets you save that. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It saves it in Google Drive. Oh, it does? Oh, it do yeah. Go look in Google Drive. You've got a folder there that contains all your... Don't look now. <laughs> um, I want to <laughs> write a library that lets me load my prompts from Google Drive and apply them. This way I can now use Maker Suite and Google Drive as a content management system. Fiddle with prompts, run them separately using and all of the other- And load it directly. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Load it directly. Right. It just, I, I feel like that's an incredible combination that very few people are exploring right now. But. But. But do you have access to those files? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Through the API. Because yeah, if they had been smart, they would have used drive file to create them. Well, no, they use the drive, drive file. If they'd used drive file scope, then the only one that's going to yep. be able to ask it is their is their uh, client. There are there are ways to deal with that. Is there? Oh, I, yes. haven't, I haven't met those ways yet. Okay. Oh, there, but there yeah, you can create, add a service account in and then hook yourself directly and you're all set. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know that. And I'm going to have to go and do that tomorrow. Thank you very much. Yep. <laughs> Take a look at that. We'll, we'll be talking about that more. You know, it has been such fun talking with you, Linda. Um, you're going to play with this some more. And I feel like we're going to have to have you back on another time to talk about other analytic stuff related to AI. Not just, you know, querying it, but, you know, what what analytics do we want to do with AI applications? But I think that's going to have to be but for yeah, another time. Cause, yeah, because I've, I've asked you already, isn't there some kind of a, a predictive model that we have access to, to be able to, because I would love, I've got a client right now that I'm extracting Google Analytics data for, and I would love to be able to take some of this data, throw it into some kind of predictive thing and get something back. So folks that are watching, um, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you if they want to learn more or to follow your YouTube videos or, uh, or stuff that you publish? Well, I guess the, the, the easiest way to get, get a hold of me is I have uh, Linda Lawton DK is my, my own website with my CV is up there and, and everything else is up there that you need to contact me. Otherwise, um, I run dimeto.com. And I'm Dimeto on Stack Overflow, Linda Lawton on Twitter, and my YouTube channel is uh, Dimeto Developer Tips, which just hit 2,000 uh, 2, subscribers today. Fantastic. Congratulations on that. Yeah. So, folks, we'd love to know how are you using Makersuite? How are you using the Palm <laughs> API? What other stuff are you discovering about all of this? Uh, you can find yep. us in all the, the various locations or leave comments below. And uh, Linda, I hope to have you back another time 
on two voice devs. Love to be there. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Bye.